0: The only thing you can control is your own thoughts and your own actions. Everything else is beyond your control. So control the controllables and let go of the uncontrollables. But if you feel badly about something, do something about it. And it's your thoughts and your actions will define the choices and the life you lead. You you are what you manifest, as you said, in your mind. It will come to pass. Everything in life is possible.
1: Welcome to Unstoppable. The podcast for anyone who believes that their past and current circumstances do not define their future potential. I'm Karina Burton, your host and co founder of CPR Construction Cleaning. This show is a series of profounding conversations that share stories and experiences of unstoppable people. Those who are willing to change, discover what it means to be aligned, and who are also willing to face tough challenges that stand between them and their dreams. As a coach and marketing expert, I live my life believing that I am unstoppable. Now I want you to know that you are unstoppable too. Hello, and welcome to the Unstoppable podcast. Today's guest is a master coach, leadership philosopher, mentor, and team coach. Jonathan Bowman-Perks graduated from Harvard University's top leadership program where he is now a visiting professor in leadership and executive MBA lecturer at Cass Business School. Jonathan has written top tips for inspiring leaders, inspiring leadership, inspiring CEOs and their boards, where all profits go to their charity, the Inspiring Leadership Trust, helping vulnerable young women globally. He was assistant to the head of British Army, chief of staff of the Army's largest brigade, and commanded his company on three operational tours. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us on today's podcast.
0: Thank you, Karina. It's a real honor to be on your show. So thank you.
1: Well, I, I'm i just blown away by everything that you've done. But not only that, everything that you have accomplished to this point, you have given back and you continue to do so every positive thing that you do you're then looking somehow to help promote happiness for others and that is truly inspiring what in all of the things that you have done in your lifetime to this point has made you feel to become this person that you are unstoppable
0: That's very kind of you to ask that, Karina. What's made me feel, um, with all those things, I'm unstoppable. I I think, actually, I want to just take a recent example. Um, My wife surprised me, Lee, my wife. um, We've been married now seven years. This is my second marriage. um, And this is going to be my last marriage, I quickly add. Um, She's a special lady. And she surprised me with a 60th birthday party this last weekend. I knew there was going to be a party, but I didn't know who was coming. I'd said the kind of people I'd like to have there (laughs) uh, and the family and friends and some of my clients, but I didn't know who was coming. But what I didn't know was when my daughters, who are now 28, 29, walked me to the door of a church and I knocked and went in, that we were gonna do the renewal of the marriage vows. Now that was just jaw dropping. Mm -hmm. She looked absolutely beautiful in her wedding dress. And uh, we renewed the vows that we had said to each other, we would written and said to each other, on a beach in Jamaica seven years ago, almost exactly to the day, uh, deeply moving. Why, why is that important? Because having that uh, that moment, and they went back and they in for the party in the evening. They replayed a video of my life from my father who was killed when I was two and a half. And um, this is my father's naval hat. And do you know what? It absolutely fits me—a glove. So isn't that interesting? That if the, there's a saying, if the cap fits, wear it. If what you know, if what you're talking about is applicable yes. to you, take it on. So I think being played back, my life as people saw that, my mistakes and stitching together all the errors and faults and flaws that I have, but it's made a very interesting patchwork of a life, career, And I think it's it's a whole range of experiences and things that have driven me to achieve the things I do and to give back, as you say, which is very kind you say that, uh, to the, to the uh, abused women and girls in the, the Inspired Leadership Trust charity. And in fact, one of the other final things I did two days ago, just after my party, was I did the Olympic uh, half uh, triathlon, uh, local one here, and I, I raised about one and a half thousand pounds for the, the vulnerable girls in the charity Because I do believe in giving back, send the lift back down. If you've been successful in life, send the lift back down for other people and help them up.
1: I absolutely love the concept. And I try to follow this myself personally is, you know, we all want to be able to provide for ourselves and live comfortably and enjoy certain and enjoy certain aspects of life, but. I think that so many people forget that you can still drive the two vehicles of giving back to your community at the same time as creating a successful career, so to speak, by having a mindset of saying, well, as I'm doing and moving the story of my life, I have the ability to change and impact others as well in a positive way instead of and I'm sure in the first season, I talked a lot about as well, that we if when you focus so much on the money aspect of it, you know, you can only grow so much as a person, that means your business can only grow so much as well, because you have internally capped yourself as an individual, when your focus is predominantly, how rich can I get? Mm -hmm. Sure, you may end up being successful to a point. But if you take that whole concept off of your mentality of how you view success, the sky's the limit, you have this, you know, ability to grow in such a way that focusing on money could never get you. So you had made a comment about, you know, you not having your father in your life at such an early age. How has that impacted you? to become the person you are today?
0: Wow. yeah, it's been a major driving force. And um, I think that there was a particular incident that happened to me. I, I was very lucky uh, serving as a British Army officer. Um, I, from an early age, I went in when I was 18 to the Royal Military Academy at Santa. It's one of the world's best leadership development centers without a second to it. I think West Point is of a similar quality, but there's not many others which train people in leaders for two years. And and I'm now coached the CEOs, boards, top teams and, and leaders around the world. I'm shortly flying over to Seattle to work with an American company with my wife, Lee, for about 10 days doing an offsite and coaching clinics with their leaders. And um, I think it's this this fact that you're always learning and always growing. And I realize I'm never the finished product. and. When I was an instructor at Santos, I went back, and and it's a bit like Top Gun school. You think, ah, this is it. I've arrived. I'm an instructor at Top Gun. I'm so cool. Look at me. And of course, that was such arrogance. I was, what, 28, I think, when I was an instructor there, and I thought I was the God's gift because I'd always had outstanding reports, and I'd always done really well. I'd been very driven, very achievement-orientated. In my case, in the Army, you're never going to get rich in the Army, but as one general said, you'll live the life of rich men. You won't be rich, but you'll live the life of rich men. But there were times when you know, I was squatting in a cold, wet trench and uh, doing a crap behind a bush in a blizzard, thinking this is not the life of a rich man. It's pretty tough being an army officer, and it was. But then when you have a dinner night and there's all this silver and gold and pictures of the Queen and members of the royal family behind you, you know that's a, a lifestyle you could never have had when I grew up in a caravan on a wet and windy Scottish uh, hillside. So I think it's that, that combination of tough times and good times. But in answer to your question specifically, when I was an instructor, I got given an average report. I went, what, like, what do you mean I'm average? I've never been, I've always been outstanding. But to the other instructors <laughs> who were really excellent and went on to be generals in the army, and achieve some of the most incredible things, um, served with the Special Air Service and, and other things, I was just average in comparison to them because they were the best of the best of the best. And that was a bit of a shock. So I reached out to find out more about the father I'd never knew because I was two and a half when he was killed. And I wrote to the Fleet Arm Officers so Association said, anybody knew Commander Paul Perks killed 1964 in Changi, Singapore? Um, where they write to his son, Jonathan, wants to know more about the man he never knew. I got lovely letters, lovely letters from people telling wonderful stories about my father, who was undoubtedly, according to them, a hero. And so it was at my lowest point, when I wasn't a very good leader, that I met the people who served with my father, and they taught me what matters about being a good leader. And this one profound thing, which has changed my life forever from that day when I was about 28, I'm now 60, was the co-pilot of my father's aeroplane said, Jonathan, your father ejected me to live. And he tried to bring the aeroplane in and he died in the fire and the ejection like like in Goose from Top Gun. He was killed when the ejector seat sent him to the tailpiece. And another man sitting there who had invited, guy, let's call him Roger. Roger said, Jonathan, your father bought my ticket. I said, what do you mean? My father bought your ticket. He said, your father should be here where I'm sitting, having lunch with you, his son, and I should be dead because it was my airplane. He was test flying to make it safe for me. He died to save my life, to make it safe for me, a younger pilot. And then the co-pilot said, Jonathan, you have a choice. You can be a victim, poor me. You know, my my life's always been a mess because I never had a dad. He was killed when I was young and mum brought three boys up on her own or you can make your father and your mother your inspiration. And that's why I'm here with you, Karina, having this conversation about being unstoppable because I chose, it's all about choice, I chose that route.
1: How amazing is it that someone's life, even though you never knew them, you were able to follow back to the roots of how much that person Impacted other people's lives and changed their lives. And because of that example, you still felt so connected to that. You didn't have to witness it, you didn't have to be there to experience it, but it dramatically changed your life because, you know, you innately, I mean, we all innately admire our parents and we want, you know, to have these loving feelings towards our parents. Um, even when children are deeply, negatively impacted by parents. And it's just amazing and what a testament to see that, you know, when you were at your darkest times and you were searching for your reason and how you could improve yourself, it was through learning about your father's example. So you even think about you today. Jonathan, do you have children? You said you had children.
0: I do. I have four children aged 29, 28, 27 and twenty six, two of my own, and two stepchildren uh, that belong to my wife Lee, but they're now my kids too.
1: So, what a great example you are for them in, you know, moving forward in life, and how, you know, what you're doing and and uh, progressing.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because at the sixtieth party, when there was about eighty people there, my. Many proud moments. Lee speaking about me, and my wife, but my two daughters, 28 and uh, 27, uh, stood up and did a double act talking about their father, uh, and they tell some very funny stories. And they put together a video with even with clips of my father talking about me in a recording from uh, Singapore that he'd sent to my mother. And he, oh, hi, treasure, it's it's Paul here and. I'm having a wizard time out here. Make sure little Johnny is okay. And then there's pictures of me poddling towards my dad and him lifting me up, uh, just deeply moving. But, but seeing my two daughters speak like that, one gave a reading in church uh, when we renewed our vows, and then my stepson did a reading in church, and my, my stepdaughter, Lana, has been really helping my wife make it all happen. Hugely proud. And also, I'm now a grandfather to two, because Daniel has two children of his own now. And so seeing the impact I've been able to have positively on my daughters and the women they are today, very successful business women in their own right, both got first-class honours degrees from Cambridge University and from Bristol University, two of the top universities in the UK. But just that they're emotionally intelligent women, that matters to me. Uh, and they play back tips and advice I've given them over the years, uh, <laughs> as well as they're aware of my mistakes and my blunders. It's special.
1: Well, of course, we always want our children. Yeah, we want our children to always um, improve, right? Improve what we've done. And so for them to be able to say, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of a tip to show you and improve. Like, if you think outside the box this way, I mean, at least for me, that's how I feel. I, I want my children to learn from my mistakes, learn from the good things that I've done, and mold that together so that they can be their best selves, because I want nothing more for my children than to have, you know, the best life. And that's how you keep generationally growing. You know, we have a choice either continuing down the same generational path of choices where it's the same repetition, the same things, or we can defy that and and define it in a positive way by improving.
0: Yeah. And, and, And I would add a caveat with that that we have to be very careful that we don't try and live our own lives through our children. So, for example, me not going to Cambridge University, which uh, I wasn't smart or clever enough at the time to do that. Um, I I had to be very careful not to put pressure on my daughter, Bryony, to get a place in Cambridge. Well, she did, and she did very well. And Harriet went to a similarly excellent university, and she was head girl of her school. But I, I have to be very careful not to put the pressure on them. All I all I want from my children is that they're happy um, uh, and that they, mm-hmm. they have fine qualities as people in their own right uh, and, and that they're contented with what they're doing in life. And if it's what they want to be doing, I will support them with that. And it, it's very hard when we have overstrong views of what our children should be doing. That That can be a big mistake. I've seen many leaders... Yeah either do that, they put such pressure on their children to do what they aspire to, which makes the parent look good rather than what's right for the child, or they're so busy with their career, and back to the point you were saying earlier about making lots of money, and it's not about making lots of money, but some of them think they'll be happy when, I have the Ferrari, the house, the Porsche, the car, but they get there and they find they're not happy then because it's much more spiritual, quite deeper than that. It's not about the money. my brother, David, who was the middle brother, was myself, Graham, who's 65, David, who was 63. David died a few months ago. I didn't see that coming. He didn't see that coming. He was living his life fully. And then suddenly he had cancer. And 10 weeks later, he died in his own bed at home and uh, riddled with cancer. And it just devastated us all. But so I don't know when my number's up. My father was just 33 when he was killed. They thought he was gonna be an Admiral in the Navy. He didn't achieve that, but he mm-hmm. lived his whole life. It just His whole life was 33. David's whole life was 63. I'm 60 so far. I might die tomorrow. But if I do, I've had one hell of a life and I've given back to so many other people and improved their lives. And that's really, for me, an accolade enough in itself. I don't need more than that with lots of money and uh, you can't take it with you when you die.
1: That, that is the truth. You're so passionate about everything you do. What keeps you so passionate? Because as life has it, there are so many difficulties and trials and nothing is linear in life. So what keeps you motivated and passionate about always moving forward?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, Karina. I'm much more, clear in my life now than I was obviously when I was perhaps 23 though I think I was I was very driven then Um, I'm highly comparative and highly competitive not great qualities I think but I manage those with an attitude of learning and growth and giving back so that if I can help a CEO of a very successful American company go from a startup to being a um, unicorn to get listed on the nasdaq to being worth billions of dollars and it does good and back into society then i feel good about that if i can help one person who's thinking about i don't know a career in the army uh, in the british army and which regiment to join i spent an hour talking with him and listening to him and sharing a couple of thoughts and ideas and he's now much more committed to joining for example the parachute regiment which i got my parachute badge and my, my maroon beret for passing parachute selection, then I feel that I've made a difference. It's it's the story of the starfish. Have you heard the story of the starfish on the beach? Do you know this one?
1: No, I have not.
0: Shall I? Have I got time to tell you? Mm-hmm. Just a very brief one. Yes, imagine you're walking. Yes, imagine sure. you're walking along a, a, a beautiful tropical beach and it's baking hot. And the waves have washed up, thousands of starfish all the way along the beach. And you're just walking on this deserted beach. And there's a little old lady, and she's coming towards you. And she keeps stooping down, doing something and standing up. And you get closer, and you see she's picking up a starfish, and she's throwing it back in the sea. And you get closer, you say, what are you doing? She said, I'm saving the starfish. You go, there's there's thousands of starfish. You, You can't make a difference to all this lot, she said. I made a difference to that one. And that is why I do what I do. If I can make a difference to that one, to that person, that they become a better leader and they touch the lives of others, just like my father's navigator touched my life because my father had served with him and saved his life. And he gave me a bit of advice, which is you have a choice. You can be a victim or you can be an inspiring leader and teach other people and pay it forward. And that's what I'm doing. Till so the day I die, I'll be paying it forward.
1: I'm like, I just can't, I can't even put into words, honestly, like how much I admire you. And I just love hearing you talk because you're so passionate. I feel very like connected in that way. Cause I feel like when I talk, when I'm on other people's podcasts, I'm, I feel the same way. I'm like, I just, I just love what I do, and there is so much energy and passion behind that um, that I feel like I can resonate so much with what you're saying. When you graduated from Harvard um, and you were in the top leadership program, that is so prestigious. I wish I could even say that that I graduated from Harvard. Um, I took a different path in my life. But how did that mold you into um, your current role today and your yeah. career. and
0: Yeah, no, it, it's interesting. I, I wanted to go to Harvard because I thought it was such a prestigious place. And I thought they would have some of the best professors. I was a visiting professor at uh, the uh, City University London Business School, uh, teaching on their exec MBAs, as you said. And so I thought, oh, I'll go there. It's some of the best professors in the world and I'll be with 70 people from countries all over the world. Actually, I must say I was underwhelmed. I thought it was going to be much better than it was. Unfortunately, one of the professors had a bit of a chip on his shoulder about me being a British Army officer. He was from Ireland, and there's always been this conflict between the Irish and the British. And for some reason, even though friends of mine are Roman Catholic, he was Roman Catholic and saw me as the enemy. And he particularly made it very public that he didn't like me. And it became quite a spat between the two of us, which we resolved in the end. And I got an apology from him because it was very unprofessional. But I just I found that overshadowed my experience of what should have been a great experience. And it made me realize that just that you think something's right up there and oh, people who go there, they must be amazing. And the instructors must be great. Just just go and be open to learning. And I learned a lot about how not to do things as much as how to do things. Um, just as like when I was in the British Army, I was uh, the assistant to the head of the British Army. And there was a general I met there and worked with who was a bully and probably, I think, a white-collar psychopath. Um, and I always imagined he'd be a great man. But actually, he was um, had some of the qualities that uh, Putin would respect. And I thought, you know, I don't like who you are and what you're behaving, but I learned a lot from it. And so. Every experience, I always ask myself the teacher moment, what have I learned and what am I going to do differently? And, and I think that's the thing that's, if, if using your term unstoppable, that's what's made me unstoppable these days is because I faced lots of problems. You know, my brother being uh, dying of cancer within 10 weeks. My other brother was attacked by a psychopath who broke into his house, poured two jerry cans of fuel all over his house, tried to burn the family life and then stabbed my brother multiple times, trying to kill him. Now, my brother has lived, but it's scarred him and his family ever since. Um, My mother-in-law, who lived with us here in our home in in Lincolnshire, sadly died uh, recently. She'd been living with us for three years of uh, a mixture of cancer, uh, heart disease, lung disease, and she had Alzheimer's. It was a very, very tough time. But again, there's learning, because my wife and I gave her heart, body, and soul support until the day she died she was surrounded by love and one of the lovely moments that was in the film that they put together with music and my daughter's playing guitar one of them was pink song i have seen the rain uh, which is about vietnam which she sang with her dad are oh, so moving and my two daughters did a duet and played that on this video for me but it was it, it was those special moments that will will stay with me always and the one moment that stuck with me was in the kitchen. They'd filmed, Lee had filmed, me and her mother, my mother-in-law, Marguerite, dancing. And she's old and she's very frail, but we're dancing together, a little twirl around and have a little a little hug at the end. Uh, that's just so special because at the end of the day, when people are dying, and, and I was particularly ill last year, very seriously ill, ended up in an accident emergency and, and was just in such pain in hospital. But I got through that. It wasn't COVID. It was something else that I had, which I'm I'm sort of coping with now. But it made me realize if my number's up, the last thing at the end of your life that matters is the love of your family. They're surrounding you. They're they're there. They're with you. And the good friends you've had and the difference you've made to people's lives. Many of the things don't matter. But at the time, we let them really trouble us and they we churn them over how dare someone say that or treat me this way it doesn't matter the only thing i can control is my own thoughts and my own actions everything else is beyond my control
1: absolutely i often say that your circumstances do not define you your choices do and we there are some very rare things that happen in our lives or we really don't have a choice. But I would say 99% of your life and for many, many people, 100% of the things that happen in their life, they still have a choice. Whether it's the hardest choice of their life, difficult, scary, where you are going to make a choice and you don't even know what the next step is, you still have a choice. And so... Everyone has the opportunity to change their circumstances through their choices. Um, It doesn't mean it's easy, but you still have a choice. Um, And I often tell my children that, you know, when they tell me, I don't have a choice. And I say, we always have a choice. You may not like the choice. And so you want to say you don't have a choice. This is your only option. That's still you choosing to either continue down a route that is plaguing you and you don't like it. Or you take the difficult choice, and you get through the hard parts. But on the other side is going to be the rainbow, and you're going to be very happy that you chose that different path.
0: Yeah, stay with that because that's a really profound thing you said to your children, there, Karina. So somebody taught me that uh, when your children do that, or someone else does, that, I, you know, I don't have any choice. I, I, and, and I often get that if you had three options, what would they be? But no, there only is one option. I know but that's called an untrue limiting assumption that they are living as if it is true. An untrue limiting assumption lived as if it is true. Say, okay, if you had three choices, what would the others be? Well, they go, it would be this and this. So where do they find those from? Because a minute ago, they told you they only had one choice. So the other thing is always to get them to think of the positive alternative to the limiting beliefs they have. So if you're children ever say to you, Karina, I can't do this, mum, I can't do this. You go, okay, and if you could do it, how would you do it? And then what the brain does neurobiologically, it starts looking like a little mouse in a maze looking for cheese for a solution to the problem. So I always love the attitude, what worked well in the learning and what would make it even better if you did it? WWW, what worked well, EBI, what would make it even better if you did it? And it gets that attitude of looking for what would make it even better because there's always improvement and there's always choice as you say i so agree with you
1: with your experience you have this extraneous experience between the army between your leadership programs um your charity today with your career what where are you at and what are you doing and you know, give us a little bit of um, description about Mm -hmm. your coaching and your mentoring and your full and your leadership philosophy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it it is a lovely mix (laughs) of, you know, from the age of 18 um, to about 40, I was in in the army, I was about 20 years in the army. And uh, that experience serves me well today, every day. Because um, the motto of the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, is serve to lead. If you're going to lead other people, you have to serve them. Officers eat last is one of the other mottos that we have. Mm-hmm. But this idea of leadership is a choice. It's not a rank or a position. Do you know I'm the leader? No, no, I shoot back to your word of choice, I choose to be a leader in any situation. Even when I was in PricewaterhouseCoopers to (PwC). I, I was only in charge of myself but yet I was a leader because I chose certain things and I set up a dining club for members of the armed services who were in PwC and guest speakers and things like that. So wherever you are, you can choose to be, come from a position of leadership. So the military gave me some amazing experiences, Uh, many hilarious stories that I could bring up if you want to know a few more, but particularly working for the head of the army, doing the airborne selection, being in Bosnia, finding mass graves outside my front gates, uh, meeting Serbian generals who wanted to break the Dayton Peace Accord and having to keep things calm with the aid of my tank at his front gate. There's a whole range of stories, but I learned from people. I particularly learned from the role models that I found, like General the Lord Dannet, who was head of the British Army and my commanding officer. I've had him on my own podcast, the Inspired Leadership podcast. Uh, from from uh, Brigadier John Griffin, who came to my 80th birthday uh, with his wife, Marion, and served in the SAS. Um, General John Stoko, who did undercover operations and uh, is a very brave man, uh, but still was a great role model, father figure to me, to make up for the missing father figure. So that was sort of that, that period of my army life, which was very challenging, quite tough, and I was always going for the best you know, always pushing for the next thing and the best jobs and served with the Scots Guards, who are a very elite regiment serving the, the Queen and looking after Buckingham Palace, as well as being very good fighting men in the Falklands War. And then I went into PwC and was a, a management consultant, a managing director of a PLC. So I gained that experience of, of running businesses. I also was in IBM, as you mentioned, but I particularly... Was encouraged by a lady called Diana Oppenheimer, who was the CEO of Barclays Retail Bank, an American lady, very inspirational. We're going to meet up again in Seattle in two weeks' time. Can't wait to see her again. She's such an inspiration. And she said, "Jonathan, go on your own, set your own business up." I said, "I can't, Deanna. You know, I've, I've always been in big institutions. They've protected me." She says, "No, it's a, it's a false illusion. They haven't protected you. They've stopped you being fully you. And so, why not go and do that?" You, know, you have nothing nothing to lose, everything to achieve. And that was the yeah. great advice, and that was probably about 20 years ago. So I went up, set myself up uh, in business as director of my own PLC, Public Limited Company, and started to coach and do team development, um, public events, now, like you, broadcasting. I love the broadcasting. I've done about 215 episodes. It's rated in the top 1.5% of podcasts in the world, according to Listen Notes, which is one of the ranking, Have a look and see where you are, Karina. Get, yes. get your own ranking on that Listen <laughs> Notes. Um, but I, I love being with uh, men and women around the world and getting them to be their best. I was coaching this morning. I'll be coaching later on this afternoon to help people to ask some great questions for which they have their own answers. That's coaching or mentoring them, having some great answers for their question, what I've seen other people do, what's worked and what hasn't worked. And I absolutely love it. It's a calling, it's a vocation, it's not a job at all. Now, I I get paid very well for the work I do. It wasn't always the case, but now because I'm in demand, people pay good money Mm -hmm. for me helping them, but I know that I give them value and they get a lot from it, and it transforms their business, their lives, and they make lots of money, probably way more. Most of my clients have all made a lot more money than I have because that's not what motivates me. Yeah. What motivates me is their learning and growth and them being inspiring leaders as men and women.
1: And you have full circled my um, my saying is you focused on the service that you wanted to give. You you focused on being a coach and a mentor. And yes, today you're successful in business. But it's because you had a completely different mindset. You know, speaking of mentoring, and I mean, obviously, this has been the whole topic on how you become who you are today, this unstoppable coach, um, philosopher leadership. But as, as we are having this conversation, I started to think about today. There is It's almost trendy, and I'm really glad that you said it's not a job. It's, it's something you are destined to do. It is a passion. And I see so many people um, wanting to suddenly become a mentor and a coach. And what would be your greatest advice to those who want to become a coach and a leadership um, trainer.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it, it's got to come from the, the heart. The, the four things that are important, head, heart, gut, and wallet. So the head, it's got to, in the job that you want to do, it's got to make logical sense to you. 89 billion neurons in here. Does this logically, the career, if you want to be a coach, or a mentor, does that make sense to you? Heart, does it make your heart sing? You've got to, I get up, each day and as i was telling you before this program i had my midday power nap and i normally sleep for about 32 minutes and of that time i think 17 minutes was deep sleep i'm really into my wearable technologies i'm about to get a a glu- continuous glucose monitor not that i'm diabetic but i'm just interested what's going on in my body when i eat certain things i'm really looking after my health and well-being that that thinking about everything that I do each day, it it comes from a place of I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to help them. How can I ask them some great questions for their answers? Because they take ownership. So if you want to be a coach or a mentor, it's got to really come from head, heart, gut and wallet. The gut instinct is, does it feel right? There's there's 100 million neurons in your gut, there's 40,000 around your heart. If it doesn't make your heart sing, and it doesn't it doesn't appeal on a gut level, fine. And then think about the wallet, finally, does it does it pay the right kind of money? But I can assure you that mm-hmm. so many go into do coaching and they don't make more on average than about $20,000 a year. It's not a big earner for many of them. They think it's going to be, but it, 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 to, to earn the kind of money that I earn now, which is very good money, I had to be at a point where I wasn't earning very much, but I was doing it as an adjunct to a job as a consultant. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked in, I, I found the best route is being in a management consultancy where you use coaching and mentoring as a tool, not as an end in itself. It's an extra thing for you to help the clients you're working with so you can gain the, the air miles. Because I've now coached and led over oh 50,000 hours of coaching and mentoring. And now I'm starting to get good so you've really got to want to do this it's really got to come from the heart and you'll do stuff for pro bono and you'll help people who are less fortunate you'll help mm-hmm. people who are alcoholics and people who are thinking of uh, ending their lives not that you're a therapist this is very different training is a psychotherapist is a specific yeah. thing helping people with a back catalogue i'm dealing with today and the future life what are you going to do you're responsible for your life karina what are you going to do about it I'm asking you questions, I'm giving you other people's experience, but then the ownership stays with you, not someone else rescuing you and telling you do this next and then do that. It's gotta be, you help people to have ownership. So if if it isn't a calling and a vocation and you're doing it because you think it'll make some money or it'll be easier than having a a job in a business or you've just been made redundant, so, oh, I'll be a coach. Mm -hmm. Big mistake, because there's hundreds of thousands of coaches out there and they're all falling all over each other And they're not getting paid very much because they haven't got the right attitude it's not a calling for them and they haven't done the hard yards one other thing i will say actually that i've found has been the profound source of my success uh, according to what other people say i'm not going to want to say aren't i wonderful but people say i'm one of the top coaches is that i'm dyslexic people would call that neurodiverse these days and i'd go i'm a victim i'm dyslexic no I struggled so hard. I was told I was thick, and I was going to become a dustman, someone who brings in the dust carts and empties the rubbish bins. All right, that's what my teacher said to me, age seven. Can you believe it? These days they'd be fired for doing that. And my mother said, "Don't worry, darling. <laughs> yes, you will find absolutely. a way. You will find a way of getting on with people." And and she was so right that that I had to learn how to read people, understand people, what motivated, what drove them, and that's been the secret of my success. And in the last six years, I've listened to so many podcasts, so many audiobooks, and I've, like you, been a broadcaster. That's been the source of my success, because all leaders are readers, or listeners, but they're not people who just think they can make lots of money. That's not the only thing. Yeah, you know people who make a lot of money, but they're complete and utter bastards. Uh, I don't want you to be like that, and I don't intend to be like that, but if you're prepared to learn and pass on that knowledge, you'll make a very good coach, very good mentor. Does that help, Karina?
1: So there's actually a couple things that came to my mind that I wanted to touch on is I love how you talked about that you started at the bottom. This is something that you're passionate about. You were not financially making a lot of money you were making very little money, as a matter of fact, but you still were working towards what your ultimate goal was to become a unique, diversified and successful mentor leadership coach. Um, and as wonderful as technology is, it also, and I, this is my thing is I believe that every wonderful and great strength and blessing that we have around us can also be our greatest um uh, difficulties right the things that really challenge us in life and so the social media aspect has so many beautiful and wonderful blessings but if not taken care of properly or taken into your life properly it can really affect you in a negative way and i and i mean this in you know we see the success of people and too many times we think of it as an overnight success right we think of people achieving this financial success in a very short period of time. And there are a lot of people who have painted a picture that that's the case. And so come join my coaching programs because I'm going to make you a millionaire too. And the reality is, is that I haven't had one person that I've interviewed on my podcast who have said, Karina, I was an overnight success, literally made million dollars. My life is linear. It's all good. Everyone has the same exact story of I started at the bottom, I had to choose my mindset and make choices in my life when I felt or other people could have looked at as adversity, that would stop you from from life and, and allow you to think that you had nothing, right? And for you, you changed the narrative of what was happening in your life and you've been able to do that continuously throughout your life. Um, I wanted to ask you, you have really changed the narrative of your life in, um, in certain aspects of it, and you've utilized it to implement it into your coaching programs. I don't want to give all your secret sauce by any means, but what distinguishes you? So what makes you or certain things that you do in your coaching that sets you apart from any other coach.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is very interesting. I think it would be because I'm so hungry to learn and grow and the dyslexia makes me listen to so many, I think perhaps uh, 300 books in the last two years that I would have listened to and would have, in effect read, maybe sometimes have listened to them twice. And I'm an early adopter. So if I think it's good for my clients to keep fit, I'll go out and do a triathlon. I'll take a personal trainer. I will do yoga. I'll do mindfulness. I will um, do intermittent fasting for three years. I'll do, uh, I'll try veganism for a year. Find it's not really what I want to do, but I'm pleased I've done it for a year. I'll try all these things because I believe serve to lead means I'm going to go first. And I'll never forget my young ex-ranker captain. So he'd gone all the way from a private soldier to a captain, which is a to thing. Having been a soldier in the army, he became an officer, which is a, a, a really courageous transition to make. And it's hard to do, not many do that. And when I arrived and I, I saluted him, I said, I'm reporting for duty. I, I don't know much at the moment and I'm willing to learn. He said, boy, he said, I thought I had some little shit from Sandhurst who thought he was right up his own bum and pleased with himself. I'm going to help you. That's the right kind of attitude. Listen, learn, keep it zipped, watch, learn, and lead your men because they deserve the best leaders they can possibly have. So if you're going to go out with me as you are tonight and party hard, in the morning, even if you have only had three hours sleep, I expect you to lead by example, be there, run at the front, and be the fittest man in the platoon. And I took that example. I always strived to lead by example. Not to say, you should do this. I say, follow me, not out you go. And sometimes that means, as it did with my father, that you die on behalf of those that you lead. To save their lives, you might die. It is almost, it has an element of a religious aspect to it. That whole idea of giving of your calling, your life, your vocation to help other people. And it's missing in life so many places. When you find someone who has that, Follow them, learn from them. And I've always learned from people. There's a number of people I've learned from. And I looked at them and I thought, I will learn the best of them and they'll be human. They'll have frailties and I will do my best if I make that mistake to learn from it, apologize to the people I've hurt or got it wrong and be better for next time.
1: You know, I actually changed my entire life because of what you just said lead by example. My entire life hit me square between the eyes when uh, my daughter was about seven, I believe. I was telling her, you can do anything. She didn't want to play soccer anymore. And I was telling her, you're so talented. You're so good. You could do anything that you want. And I was at a point in my life where I was a shell of who I was as a person. I didn't even know who I was anymore, and I did not have the abilities to even find out who I was. I was held captive in a very strange way that I didn't even realize that it was happening to me. But it was my what I said to my daughter, you can do anything you want you just have to want it bad enough and you have to put in the work. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I am someone who doesn't do what I say. And this is how I'm raising my children. My children will never truly listen to me as somebody of value as a parental figure but even as a somebody that they look up to and admire because they were going to going to look back at me and my life and say well mom you didn't do anything with your life all of your dreams everything that you aspired anything that you talk about you never did it because fear hold held you back Mm -hmm. and it's such a powerful thing as a leader as an entrepreneur as a parent, as a friend, a spouse, to really take into your life and be the person that you encourage other people to be. Mm. Um, it's, it's such a powerful thing, and for you to be able to create this entire um, business behind that is very, very inspiring. Thank you. Speaking of inspiring leaders, I do love, um, since I was on your podcast, I do love that you have your top tips. I love it. I think that's such a great idea because you get to get a little bit of the insight of every individual's, you know, thoughts on what leadership means for them. And you have written a book that's Mm -hmm. the top tips for inspiring leaders. I want to know. You know, what got you to that point to say, I'm going to write a book about this. And then I want to know what you would say your top tips would be.
0: Oh, wow. So many. Well, I think before that came this one, which was the <laughs> leadership lessons from my life, uh, all the uh, mistakes and blunders and the successes and what they taught me. But I think uh, the top tip I would give is that everybody you meet has something to teach you if only you'd listen. So as I was describing to you the the, the disappointment I had with the um, professor with his bigotry and his bias against me at Harvard, or a general who was uh, a bit of a white-collar psychopath, but successful, but yet a bully, they taught me how not to be. And, and yet other people like General Lord Dannett and Brigadier Griffin and my mother, and my father taught me how to be. And it's about my top tip would be, it's the way you're showing up in the world. And I, I am finding the greatest philosophy that underpins what I do and how I cope with disappointment, success, death, destruction, is stoical philosophy. And and the, the, the central tenet is the only thing you can control is your own thoughts and your own actions. Everything else is beyond your control. So control the controllables and let go of the uncontrollables. But if you feel badly about something, do something about it. And it's your thoughts and your actions will define the choices and the life you lead. You you are what you manifest, as you said, in your mind, it will come to pass. Everything in life is possible if you're prepared to pay the price and live with the consequences. And some of the prices and consequences are not acceptable, so don't do it. But but almost anything you want to put your mind to, you can do it if you're prepared to pay the price and live with the consequences.
1: Well, before we end our conversation, which I truly feel like I could talk to you for a very long time because okay. there's so many things that you talk about that I fully 100% resonate with and I am very much in a line with how you um view life and even the adversity that you have faced. It's very difficult. Um, I had the other day someone tell me, wow you've been dealt a series of difficulties and I'm like, I know. (laughs) I realize that not everyone has that but it's so wonderful to meet other people who have had a lot of difficulties and series of trials and to see them successful. And to see them happy and to see them change the narrative of the circumstances that have happened to them, because it doesn't define who you are. And you are truly a great example and an inspiration for that. Um, Before we end the um, interview, I would love to invite you to share anything that you've got coming up, anything that you'd like to share with the audience, because I know that they're going to want to look for you, um, share with the audience where they can find you,
0: Thanks, Karina, that's very kind. So my website, JonathanPerks.com, have a look on there. You'll see all the different podcasts, uh, including Karina's, will be coming up on the 6th of June. And uh, it was a lovely interview with you, and thank you for that. It's definitely one uh, worth seeing. So every week on Apple and Spotify, uh, a a new podcast comes out. It's also on YouTube. There's a YouTube channel you can follow. Just type in my name, you'll find me. Um, and, And there you'll see these fascinating leaders, men and women, Uh, whether they be triple amputees, or they're generals, or they're special forces guys, men or women who've come out about their sexuality in a difficult environment, or they've overcome massive difficulty. These are really inspiring leaders. And people like Karina then recommend to me other leaders who they find as, and it normally tends to be CEOs or people who are running big businesses, how they found that person inspiring. So each inspiring leader recommends another one that they look up to. So I found the quality of the people that I've got on the program. It's why it's common in the top 1.5% in the world It's because the quality of the people like you, Karina, and others share amazing stories and they're real people. They're not just someone out there you can't relate to. So, so go and have a listen. Go to my website, have a listen, uh, pick what you like, and enjoy it. Um, it's my way of paying forward. I don't make any money from it, but it's my way of giving back. And the other thing is, I would ask people if you want to help the vulnerable girls um, who have been through abuse, modern slavery, trafficking. Uh, the Inspiring Leadership Trust um, has its own website, and and Lee, my wife, does amazing work helping these women around the world who need this leg up, this foot up, to get out of the awful situation they're in and have a go to have a more level playing field like the rest of us have. Thanks, Karina, it's been an honor being on your series.
1: Thank you, Jonathan, I truly appreciate it. And there have been a few times where we've talked about your wife, Lee, and what she does. I definitely want her on the podcast as well. Um, I am also very inspired with the little that I know that she has done and is doing. Um, For everyone listening, Definitely check Jonathan Bowman, Perks, and his website. Um, He has multiple books out. Inspiring Leaders is not just for leadership roles. It is for your daily life. Applying everything that we learn on a daily basis always improves our career, our success, and our ultimate happiness. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye.